What's going on, guys? Thank you guys for tuning in again. This is Kieran Dooley, back again with Dooley's Premier League update. Unlike last week's episode, where we covered the Champions League round of eight, uh, leg two, we're going to be covering the Premier League match week 32. Um, We're going to be starting from the games on Friday, April 16th. Um, The first game was... A Everton hosting a Tottenham. Some pretty big news for Tottenham. Let me just go ahead and start off with that. Um, Tottenham's head coach, Jose Mourinho, got sacked, um, which is like another word for fired. He um, got let go by Tottenham. He has not been doing too well with them this year. Um, Hotspur fans were hoping that he would be their savior type of deal, you know give him a little bit of an edge in the Premier League, but and he really didn't. Game was a, a draw. Finished 1-1 at halftime. Uh, Gilfie Sigurdsson in the 31st minute with a penalty put Everton up 1-0, but in the 27th minute, Harry Kane scored to make it 1-1. And then in the second half, uh, Gilfie Sigurdsson Completes a brace for himself, scores in the 62nd minute, assisted by Seamus Coleman. And then Harry Kane again, um, unassisted goal, 68th minute. He scores and ties it up. As far as the match stats, Everton literally takes um, the advantage in everything. 52% possession to, Hots- to Hotspur's 48 Seven shots on target to their three. They had a total of 18 shots to Tottenham's 12. Um, Touches were close, though. Everton had 706 touches to Tottenham's 644. Then Everton had 502 passes to Everton's, or to Tottenham's 450. Everton had 22 tackles to Tottenham's 19. 22 clearances to Tottenham's 13. And then uh, Everton had six corners, so they had six opportunities to get a good goal in, but they still couldn't. And then uh, Tottenham with three corners. Pretty evenly matched game throughout the course of the entire game. Um, the teams are neck and neck. I honestly don't know what else to say. They're just neck and neck. And then Tottenham fired Jose Mourinho after the games this weekend. I thought that that was really funny. Then um, Jose Mourinho posted something on his Instagram. He was like, POV, you're Jose Mourinho. And it was him like walking out of his house. And there was like 30 cameramen like pointing right at his front door. And I thought that that was crazy. But moving on, we um, only had one game on Friday. Uh, we'll move, we're moving on into the... Newcastle versus West Ham United game, which was played on Saturday, April 17th. Um, game starts off really, really interesting. Issa Diop, uh, center back for Newcastle, gifts West Ham with an own goal. So West Ham goes up uh, 1-0. Or excuse me, Issa Diop is a um, West Ham center back. So... Newcastle goes up 1-0, and then in the same minute, Craig Dawson, which is the other center back for West Ham, he gets a second yellow card, so he gets sent off off of a red. So 
So now West Ham is playing a man down, just gave up an own goal all in one minute. Jolington, or Jolinton, a striker for Newcastle, he scores in the 41st minute to make it a 2-1 score at halftime. And then uh, in the 73rd minute, Issa Diop makes up for his own goal and puts one in for West Ham to make it a 2-1 game. And then Joseph Willick puts it out of West Ham's reach and makes it a 3-1 match in the 82nd minute with a Newcastle goal. And then Jesse Lingard with a penalty in the 80th minute uh, scores the second goal for West Ham. So it's a 3-2 game in favor of Newcastle's win. West Ham with the foothold of possession with 65.4 and Newcastle's 34.6. Newcastle had eight shots on target to West Ham's six. They were tied for 16 shots apiece. Um, The touches got a little out of hand. West Ham had 716 to Newcastle's 466. And then West Ham had 510 passes to Newcastle's 270. But Newcastle takes the defensive Advantage with 16 tackles over West Ham's 11 and 33 clearances over West Ham's 7. West Ham had 8 corners throughout the game to be able to bring the game back into level. 8 corners did not score on one of them. I just can't believe that crap, man. I just can't. And then the next game, we had a... Wolverhampton hosting Sheffield. Sheffield fired their coach here recently too, so they're with um, a temporary manager. And they're in dead last in the Premier League, man. They are terrible right now. I don't even think they've won more than two games this entire season. I think 34 games have been played. But uh, the game finishes 1-0 for a... Wolverhampton win off of a William Jose 60th minute goal. As far as the stats go, we have 52% possession for Sheffield to Wolverhampton's 48. Wolves had five shots on target to Sheffield's two, 10 shots total to Sheffield's eight. But Sheffield takes the advantage in touches and passes. They got 682 touches to Wolverhampton's 661. Then 512 passes to 479. Then they had 19 tackles to Wolves 15. But Wolves had 21 clearances to Sheffield's 9. And both teams tied with three corners each. This game was absolutely insane. We have Arsenal hosting Fulham. So we have a Josh Maja goal in the second half to make it a 1-0 Fulham lead in the 59th minute. And then in the 90th minute plus 7, Eddie Nikita, which is a striker for, for Arsenal, scores. But it's very controversial because in, in this goal, um, the way it happens is a, is a ball gets played across the box. Like it gets crossed in back post. But whenever the ball is played, um, one player is standing off sides. But he he doesn't move. He just sticks his arms up and lets everyone know that he's standing there. 
But instead of like just completely moving out of the way, he stands in the way directly in front of the goalie. And the goalie has to consider him. So, technically, he did obstruct play, but VAR and the referee on the field both agreed that there was no um, obvious, uh, what's the word, denial of a goal or obvious um, denial of space or something like that. Like, in my opinion, the, he was standing right in front of the goalie. The goalie has to take him into account. It's the fact that the goalie had to recalibrate his planning and rethink his strategy because of that player standing there. He had to. I've played soccer before. If there's anyone near you, you have to completely replan what you were going to do with something else. But that's the game of soccer. It sucks. Felt really bad for Fulham, especially for their head coach, Scott Parker. Because um, I think he's a really good coach. He's just getting the crap end of a stick, if you will. As far as the possession goes, we had Arsenal with 70% to Fulham's 20. Or excuse me, 30. Arsenal had five shots on target to Fulham's one. Man, Arsenal was just everywhere. They had 18 shots to Fulham's three. 800 touches to Fulham's 448. And 633 passes to Fulham's 286. Arsenal had 18 tackles to Fulham's 12. But Fulham had 32 clearances to Arsenal's six. But Arsenal had 11 corners. 11 opportunities to make it right. 11 opportunities to go even. 11 opportunities to take the lead. I can go on all day. 11, 11 opportunities, 11 things, 11 more, 11, 11, 11. They had 11 chances to freaking score off of a corner, and they could not. Props to Sheffield's <laughs> um, d- defense then. <laughs> all right. Moving on, on to Sunday's game, we have Manchester United hosting a Burnley. In the 48th minute, no goals happened in the first half, but in the 48th minute, assisted by a Marcus Rashford pass, Mason Greenwood puts Man U up 1-0 against Burnley. And then two minutes later, James Tarkowski comes in off of a corner, heads one in for Burnley. It's a 1-1 game. I'm sitting down, I'm stressing on my couch because I'm a diehard Man U fan. I'm like, oh no, this was our opportunity to chip away at Man City's gigantic lead in first place. We finally have it to eight points, but like still, every goal that we score, we need to go and help us for goal difference and stuff like that. But moving on into the 84th minute, uh, Paul Pogba passes it into a Mason Greenwood uh, back post run. Mason Greenwood tucks it away, makes it a 2-1 Man U game. The game's over. Man U's holding on. They're defending really well, and then they get a nice counterattack break. Burnley puts too many men forward, and they get caught out. Running down the left side of the field, Donny Van de Beek takes it up. Runs up to the left side of the field, plays a square ball back into the box. Uh, Bruno Fernandez does a dummy where he lets the ball just roll in between his legs right into the path of Edison Cavani, and he just buries it. 
clean, crisp finish goal. Game finishes 3-1. Man, you takes three points. As far as the stats go, Man U had 69.4% possession to Burnley's 30.6. Uh, Man U also had nine shots on target to Burnley's three with 17 shots total to Burnley's 10 shots total. 800 touches to Burnley's 425 and 610 passes to Burnley's 266. 15 tackles for Burnley to Manchester's 13 and 29 clearances for Burnley to United 16 and then Manchester United had eight corners didn't score on any of them but Burnley had three corners and scored on one of them I will say this year Manchester United's defending on corners has been terrible their defense on set plays and just crosses in general has has just been terrible this year terrible I don't know what it is I don't know what they're doing what they're not doing but it's not working because they've given up probably more goals off of set pieces than they have of open play in just this year alone and that's not really a stat that should be something to be proud of you know and moving on from the uh, Manchester United game, not a not a better game to, to get into is the Leeds versus Liverpool game. It played on my actual birthday. Uh, my birthday was April 19th. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the happy birthdays. Hopefully you said it. If not, you're mean. But in the 31st minute, assisted by Trent Alexander. Arnold pass. Sadio Mane slots one home to make it a 1-0 halftime lead for Liverpool at Leeds. And then Leeds storms back in the second half. 87th minute, Jack Harrison rips up the field, crosses it in. Diego Llorente puts one up. Game is tied 1-1. Liverpool again dropping points. Happy birthday to me is right. Leeds United dominating Liverpool. Did not expect to see this. I wasn't able to watch the highlights of the game, but looking at these stats, it's going to be hard for me to not want to watch the game. Leeds had 61.9% possession of Liverpool's 38.1. Liverpool had seven shots on target, but 17 shots total. But Leeds had 737 touches. Liverpool had 539. Leeds had 525 passes. And Liverpool at 322. Leeds had 23 tackles to Liverpool's 15. But Liverpool had 29 clearances to Leeds' 17. And then both teams had plenty of opportunities to score on a corner. Leeds had 10 corners and Liverpool had 8 corners, man. But as far as the head-to-head play... Between Liverpool and Leeds, they've played a total of 26 times. Five of those games have been draws. 15 of them have been Liverpool wins, and six of them have been Leeds wins. And moving up to the next game, we have an April 20th game, or an April 20th match, excuse me. Very, very, very boring match. Finishes 0-0. Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea plays against um, Brighton and Hove Albion. Ben White, in the 90th minute plus two, receives his second yellow card for West Brom, or excuse me, for Brighton and Hove. 
and um, he gets sent off. So Brighton plays a man down the last couple minutes of the game, but it doesn't even matter because it's it's too late in the game for anything to happen. Both teams are spent. It's the end of the match. The game zero zero. It was probably super flat. But as far as the statistics go for the game, they're showing a Chelsea dominance, man. I don't understand how the game is 0-0, but the stats are reading this. Okay, we got a Chelsea 64.4% possession to Brighton's 35.6. Chelsea had four shots on target to Brighton's two, but Brighton took the lead with 11 shots total to Chelsea's seven. Chelsea comes back with 924 touches to Brighton's 583. Chelsea also had 740 passes to Brighton's 410. As far as the tackles go, man, Brighton had 25 tackles, um, eight to Chelsea, nine clearances for Chelsea, and six for Brighton. Zero corners for Chelsea, but Brighton had three. Brighton had three opportunities to score right there. That's what I'm looking at. Because, like I like I've been saying, whenever they're not scoring off of these corners, man, they're they're losing the matches. Then moving on into Wednesday, the the, the match week was very drawn out, very very drawn out. This uh, Tottenham's playing again. Tottenham just played on Monday. They're playing again right here on Wednesday. Or excuse me, they played on Friday. They're playing again right here on Wednesday. In the first half, Southampton's winning 1-0 due to a Danny Ings goal in the 30th minute, assisted by James Ward-Prowse, which is the Southampton talisman, if you will. Um, Gareth Bale puts with um, Tottenham up in the 60th minute to make it a 2-1 or to make it a 1-1 match. It's tied in the 60th minute. And then Hoing Sun in the 90th minute off of a penalty scores for Tottenham to make it a Tottenham 2-1 victory. As far as the stats go for the game, Tottenham has 61.7% possession to Southampton's 38.3. Five shots were on target. Uh, the Tottenham's three shots, but Tottenham had 12 shots total to Southampton's 10. Um, Tottenham also had 833 touches to Southampton's 583. 650 passes to 370 to Southampton, but Southampton takes the lead in the defensive stats with 29 tackles to Spurs' 18, and then 16 clearances to Spurs' 13. And both were tied at five corners apiece. It's just so interesting to me to see the lead switches and how sensitive these leads can get with um, just a few corners being taken. With just a few corners, these leads are getting switched up a lot, man. Aston Villa playing against a Manchester City. I remember watching the first few minutes of this game because in the first minute, John McGinn off of the kickoff. Aston Villa loads up that left side of the field. They kick off. Everyone runs up. They play one long ball over that left side. And the ball just kind of 
bounces around and eventually gets spat out. And John McGinn picks it up and he buries it. Aston Villa goes up 1-0 against the defending, or excuse me, against Manchester City. In the first minute, 21 minutes pass. Phil Foden, a youngster for Manchester City, hungry man. He just dribbles, dribbles, dribbles. He dribbles all the way upfield and um, scores one for uh, Man City. Makes it a 1-1 match. And then Rodrigo, they're still not done. Rodrigo in the set in the second half, or in the 40th minute, scores to make it a 2-1 halftime match. John Stones gets a red, a straight red. The second, um, the first half is about to end. It was probably a dirty tackle. So Man City's playing a, a man down this entire second half. And then Matthew Cash, stupid decision, picks up a second yellow off of a cynical tackle. No question it was a yellow. But he didn't have to make that tackle. Yeah, Man City was about to start another fast break counterattack, but in Aston Villa's defense, Man City was just starting that counterattack about 80, 85 yards away from the Aston Villa goal. But decisions were made, consequences happened, and Man City walks away with a 2-1 victory. Um... We really, we really need them to drop every last point for the rest of the year, like the rest of the season. Just for Man United to get close to their like thirteen point lead. I mean, we have it. We had it down to eight after this win, but I don't know, man. I just don't know if either team can keep up with the run that they're on. Because Man U's on a hell of a run, as so is um, Man City. But anyways, as far as the stats for the game goes. Um, Man City is one of the best possession teams in the entire world. They had 72% possession to Aston Villa's 28. With 10 men, they had this much possession. Both were tied with three shots on target, but Man City had 13 shots total to Aston Villa's 8. Man City had 950 touches to Aston Villa's 440. And then Aston Villa only had 300 passes, and Man City had 806. They two times and a half them on passes. As far as tackles go, Aston Villa takes the advantage with 12 to Man City's 5. Same thing with clearances. They had 20 clearances to Manchester City's 7. But Manchester City had 11 corners. 11 corners. 11 corners. And they still... Only scored two goals. It's so upsetting, man. But anyways, moving on to the last game of this week, we have a Leicester football, Leicester City football, hosting a West Bromwich and Albion. In the 23rd minute, Jamie Vardy, quick counterattack, slots one home, 1-0 lead, quick off the rip. Uh, 30 minutes later, man, Johnny Evans off of a corner, heads one in, Lester's up 2-0 against West Brom. And then again, Kalechi Ihianacho, 36th minute, assisted by Jamie Vardy, 3-0. Lester wins the game 3-0 against West Brom. For the stats of the game, Lester was absolutely clinical. 
73% possession to 27%. Seven shots on target for Leicester to West Brom's one. 17 shots total to West Brom's four. 870 touches to West Brom's 400. 700 passes to West Brom's 250. 19 tackles for Leicester to West Brom's 10. And then the only thing that West Brom takes the advantage in is 18 clearances to Leicester's 7. But Leicester comes back with 7 corners to West Brom's 3. Again, y'all, there is just something about these corners. I don't know what all to say. Because, like, the, the way the corners work is... It's like the team's chance to get a nice dead ball served into the box, you know? And if you can get ahead on it, you know, you're not going to walk away with a win, but you'll walk away with a goal just from that corner, and it just makes it that much more harder for other people to um, score. It's just not an easy thing to do in the Premier League is to score. Probably the hardest thing to do in soccer is to score. And that's it for the Premier League for this week. Um, Still have a little bit of time left for the show, so I'm going to move into the next week's um, semifinals first legs for the Champions League and the Europa League. I'm going to tell you the two teams playing, or the four teams playing for each, and then I'm going to give y'all my prediction for the score or for the winner of the first leg, the winner of the second leg, the winner of the entire semifinal, and then who's going to be playing and winning the final. So in the first leg of the semifinal on Tuesday, April 27th, we have the first leg for Real Madrid versus Chelsea. I have Chelsea winning this uh, first leg and this entire uh, um, semifinal. Um, they're going to win the first leg off of like a 1-0 away win. And then they're just going to win the uh, entire um, semifinal, excuse me, through that 1-0 win because they're just going to defend like no other on their home game the following week. And then on Wednesday, uh, April 28th, we have PSG hosting Manchester City. And that is probably going to be one of the best soccer games to watch for the entire year, is this semifinal right here, both legs of it. Um, I honestly think Man City is going to win it, but I don't want that to happen. So I'm going to go with PSG winning the first game or the first game is going to be tied 1-1. Second game is going to be an all-out goal fest. PSG is going to snap. And then um, the second leg for the Man City game will be the following Tuesday, May 4th. And then um, the second leg for the Chelsea game will be the following Wednesday, uh, May 5th. So that's it for the Champions League. I have... uh, Chelsea moving forward over Real Madrid and then PSG beating um, Man City in that tournament. So that's going to leave a Chelsea versus PSG final for the Champions League. And I'm going to go with Chelsea. 
just because they have a Christian Pulisic, a little American, you know, he's putting in his little work over there, you know, love it. And then um, we have the se- uh, the semifinal first leg for the Europa League. It's going to be hosted, or it's going to be played on Thursday, April 29th. Um, we have Villarreal playing Arsenal. Um, I honestly have Villarreal or Arsenal taking Villarreal all the way. Um, Arsenal's gonna beat them 2-0 on the first game and then beat them 1-0 on the second game. So it's gonna be a 3-0 aggregate go forward. And then obviously they're gonna play Manchester United in the final. Um because Manchester United's playing against Roma. Um, it's a pretty tough competition, pretty stiff Italian team. Um, I honestly think Man U, Man U has home for the first game, but they're away for the second. So if anything, I see Man U kind of slipping up at their home game, but then storming back at their away game and not leaving a doubt in anyone's mind who the Europa League champions will be for this year. But the first leg, like I said, will be Thursday, April 29th. Um, the second leg will be Thursday, May 6th. Um, both games are going to be at 2 o'clock both of those weeks. Roma has a very decent team, though. It's going to be a very good um, first leg. Because, like I said, it's going to be at Old Trafford. So Roma's going to have to come in and try to, you know... <laughs> give us a what for but it's going to be hard for them because um man use on a five game win streak right now at everything whether it's domestic or foreign or tournament or league play or whatever the um specifications are manchester united is on a five game win streak well i just want to thank you guys for tuning in for episode eight of Dooley's premier league update um thank you guys so much for tuning in Uh, Next week's episode should be a little more based on the Europa League and Champions League games and then back into the um, Premier League because there's just not enough teams to cover uh, and make 30 minutes out of four teams um, for the Europa League and then another four teams for the Champions League. Um, Eight teams, 30 minutes, just can't do it, especially when they're not playing. I couldn't just ramble about teams unless it's Manchester United. But anyways, that's enough for me. Sorry to keep y'all a little bit longer with my tangent. But y'all have a good day, and um, I'll see you guys on episode 9. See ya.